This is the Word of God. It's from Proverbs, two different passages, one from chapter 6 and one from chapter 8. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. <clears throat> From Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry to the, is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I speak noble things, and from my lips come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Thanks be to God, the Word of God. Please be seated, and let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth uh, be acceptable in your sight, and may be, they be true to your word today. Well, I am a, an attorney, for those of you who don't know, and it might be ironic to have a, uh, a uh, lawyer speak a, a sermon on truth, because after you all, you know that uh, you know how to tell when a lawyer's lying. His lips are moving. <laughs> Uh, and usually when I'm uh, up here telling, uh, preaching a sermon, I tell a story about my hometown. Uh, I'm going to skip that today, but there is a, there is a story about this uh, a fellow who could have been from Chelhowie, I guess. <laughs> uh, this goes back uh, many years uh, to an old uh, baseball pitcher, Hall of Fame pitcher by the name of Dizzy Dean. Anybody ever heard of old Diz? Uh, those of you who are baseball fans do. He was uh, prominent back in the 30s, and... Uh, Somewhere along the line, there was a physicist who maintained that a curveball thrown by a pitcher was actually, didn't, didn't actually curve. That it really went straight and the batter was merely seeing an optical illusion. Well, somebody mentioned this to old Diz and uh, he suggested, well, why don't you tell that man to stand right behind a tree about six feet where I can't see him and he can't see me and I'll hit him on the head with an optical illusion. <laughs> Remember that point, I'll try to bring it up later. <laughs> truth be told, we are conflicted about the truth. We have a love-hate relationship with the truth on the one hand, even secularists uh, recognize the value of truth. Thomas Jefferson said that honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Mark Twain said that if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. On the other hand, our culture seems to live by a mantra of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Maybe when it comes right down to it, we don't really want the truth to be told about 
what happened in Vegas or perhaps a lot of other places. But technology, and especially uh, recording technology, is changing a lot of our world and our inability to deny the truth. Uh, we have uh, seen even this year uh, riots in uh, Baltimore and St. Louis uh, that don't hold a candle to the riots that occurred in 1994 over the beating of a uh, Los Angeles motorist named Rodney King. Some of, those, some of you older folks will remember that incident. Uh, and it was sparked by a, uh, someone with a uh, handheld camera, a bystander, recording on video a, uh, the incident of this motorist being drugged from his car, a black man, uh, who was beaten by police. And this now seems to be played out more frequently given the prevalence of smartphones and people's personal recording devices. Yes, kids, there was a day when there were no smartphones. And uh, I've even got one of those that doesn't record anything. Because I can't take one into the courthouse. That, uh, so I have to keep one of these old ones. But police have a credibility problem and the videos are showing what blacks have been saying for a long time, that they are being mistreated at the hands of the police. So now we have this call for police uh, to be equipped with body cams and dash cams. Why? To show the truth of what takes place during an arrest, so that they can't be denied later. Now. My experience is, for the most part, criminal defendants really don't want to know, be, have that video evidence brought out uh, at their trial, because it's going to tend to show something very different, uh, and that the police act properly in the vast majority of cases. However, it is there, and that's the purpose of it. And, and video technology is certainly not perfect. Camera angles and timing do not necessarily show the whole story. And so uh, we've even seen in the last couple of weeks uh, the uh, Planned Parenthood uh, videos that have been taped uh, surreptitiously uh, that have shown uh, maybe a little glimpse, a little sneak peek of what goes on uh, behind the upper echelons of that organization's uh, uh, thoughts and, and, and way of doing business. Before there was video recording technology, there was audio recording technology. So uh, there was listening devices, and whether it's spy versus spy at the international level, or whether it's the Watergate, where listening devices were planted in uh, the Democratic headquarters uh, for election in 1972, or whether it's a business call that somebody wants to tap the idea is to record the truth about what is being said. Again, so that people can't deny it later. But what if, just for instance, our thoughts got recorded? Now that's a dangerous idea. But um, let me suggest that you sit right back and hear a tale. A tale of 
a Gilligan's Island episode. <laughs> now, some of you who are 20 and under may not be familiar with Gilligan. Are everybody familiar with Gilligan's Island? It's the, you know, the episode or the, the, the sitcom where there's uh, seven people cast away on an island and uh, they're living in this small community and sometimes they get on each other's nerves. And uh, there was a, one particular episode where dear old Gilligan went uh, out in the woods and he found some sort of a fruit or nut that he ate and when he got back to the, to the camp, suddenly he could understand what people were thinking and he could read their thoughts. And uh, of course he tried to keep it a secret, but Gilligan could keep no secrets. And uh, pretty soon everybody in, on the island, all seven of them, had this fruit or nut or whatever it was, and so they could read each other's thoughts. That did not turn out well. <laughs> the truth of what people were thinking about each other was not always charitable or pleasant. And so before the end of the episode, they were all at each other's throats, and Gilligan did the smart thing, gather it all up, and dump it in the ocean. But it taught them a lesson. They, that they were, that they, as to what they were thinking. So what if, what if we all had to wear body cams 24-7? What if we all had to wear listening devices 24-7? And what if there were a technology that could continually read our thoughts? Essentially, what if there were no secrets of thought, word, or deed. Somehow, I think, like the folks on the island, they wouldn't last very long. And yet, what does this have to do with biblical wisdom and truth? I think one of the most feared aspects and attributes of God is his omniscience. Tell me that's not true. I mean, really, the thought of God knowing every word, deed, and even thought is scary to most people. Adam and Eve had to hide from God. Why? Because they knew that he knew, right? In fact, Hebrews uh, talks about um, how, that, how scary things can be. If we go on sinning deliberately, there is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I think we know that. I think even our society at large knows that. And that's why we live in a world of truth suppressors. When politicians and the press want the church to start to redefine sin or some other aspect of biblical truth, you can count on the fact that they are squelching their own consciences. 
in suppressing the truth. When they call, on the, they call upon the church to join them in exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But moral truths are real truths. And to say that truth is relative, like our society does, is basically to say that truth is an optical illusion. And you know how that works. The next thing you know, the truth, like a dizzy dean curveball, smacks you in the head. In the mid, about 10 years ago, Stephen Colbert coined a word, truthiness. Everybody heard that word before? That's a 21st century word if there ever was one. Uh, in fact, the 2006 Merriam-Webster's Dictionary proclaimed truthiness to be the word of the year. It's, if it sounds good enough to be the truth, we'll accept that. In other words, if it feels right, then that's okay without regard to evidence. Colbert referred to it as the truth the way we want it to exist. Now contrast truthiness with what Francis Schaeffer called true truth in real reality. But truthiness, the concept of truthiness, has been around a lot longer than the word has. Uh, when Anna goes off to college here in a few weeks, we're going to be selling a used car. Get a lawyer selling a used car, how about that? <laughs> And uh, it's sort of expected that when a, you, you go, to use, go to sell a used car, uh, well, you might, as the words of the term of the law says, engage in some mild puffery about it. Oh, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm gonna be telling them about how the mileage is, is pretty good and how it runs well and, and most of the functions work, but I really want to say that the air conditioner doesn't work. Um, but this comes up in a lot of other contexts too. Resume puffing. I mean, we want to put our best face forward, do we not? And yet we also hear of stories from of educators, of college football coaches, and sometimes of mid-level government appointees who have exaggerated their experience and their education. And eventually, the illusion comes back to hit them on the head too. But let's face it, we're often willing to lie to ourselves. I grew up in a home where uh, one of our family members was anorexic. And it was not infrequent to see this person in front of a mirror telling themselves that they were fat. We were not fat. But we couldn't tell them that. Or take the case of the uh, recently infamous transracial Rachel Dolezal, the white woman who has pretended to be, or in her words, identifies as a black woman. 
One of the people who knew her, knows, has known her for years, described her as a pathological liar. But this whole identify as thing, fill in the blank, I identify as whatever, that concept gives us license to pretend that we're whatever we are not. And inevitably, we engage in self-deception to the point that we start to formalize it and believe it. And from that point, we get others to believe it. Now, this is all a far cry from what God calls for in the ninth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. So let's be sure that this uh, concept has a lot more to do than with giving testimony under oath. Not many of us find ourselves in that particular context very much. In fact, Jesus took that concept and explained that uh, uh, command, just as he commanded, just as he explained that murder had a lot do, more to do than just with murder. It had to deal with hating. And adultery had a lot more to do than cheating on your spouse. It had to do with lust. And he expanded on the ninth commandment to say, let your no be no and your yes be yes. In other words, have the integrity and honesty to such a degree that you don't need to be under oath to tell the truth. There is a moral obligation to tell the truth in all contexts. Because even when you are under oath, if you have a reputation for lying, well, that can undermine, even, undermine your testimony, even if you are telling the truth. In some regards, Lying is a secondary offense. In other words, if we break one of the first eight, we're also likely to lie about it to cover up what we've done. And so we break the ninth one as well. But let's drill down a little bit. What does the Westminster Confession have to say, or the, excuse me, the Westminster Larger Catechism has to say about the Ninth Commandment? As you know, the uh, Westminster Catechism uh, asks typically three questions about each commandment. What is, it, what is it? That's pretty short. We've already read it. Second, what are the duties required by it? And third, what, are the, what is prohibited by it? So what are the duties required by the Ninth Commandment? Let me take a deep breath here and see if we can survive it. The duties of the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promotion of the truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, fully, speaking the truth and only the truth in manners of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem for our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing and covering their infirmities, freely acknowledging their gifts and graces, 
defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report, and unwillingness to admit of an evil report. Concerning, the, uh, concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care for our own good name and defending it when it was required, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing whatsoever are true, honest, lovely, and of a good report. All that packed into the Ninth Commandment. So what's forbidden by the Ninth Commandment? Take another deep breath. The sins that are forgiven by the Ninth Commandment are all prejudicing of the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own, especially in matters of public judicature, giving false evidence, suborning false witnesses, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and even overbearing the truth itself passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause. Do I need to go on? Holding our peace when iniquity calls for reproof from ourselves or complaint to others, speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously to a wrong end, or perverting it to a wrong meaning. I, I could go on. I'm, I, you know, I'm about to melt after the first four parts of that. That, friends, is a mirror in which we look to see God's character. Truth is God's character. That's why wisdom speaks truth. No matter, no wonder that we want to run and hide from a God like that. No wonder we don't want to stand in the presence of a holy God. No wonder in the last days there will be people who want the rocks to come and crush them. No wonder when Isaiah, when ushered into God's presence in Isaiah chapter 6, proclaimed himself to be a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. And this is just one of the Ten Commandments. So, how do we deal with this? I suggest we might look to Jesus, who spoke the truth in love. And there's three incidents in the book of John where Jesus handled this. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me in John 1, verse 46. 45, I believe it is, and this is the one I'll speak about the most, where Jesus is uh, selecting his disciples, and it says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses, uh, found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, and, and said of him, Look, or behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? 
Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Well, you'll see greater things than these. So what's going on here? Jesus knows all about Nathanael. Jesus calls him an Israelite in whom there is no guile. I don't think he's trying to flatter Nathanael. I just think he's trying to make him realize that nothing is hidden from Jesus. Thought, word, or deed. Including Nathaniel's snide remark and his snooty attitude about Nazareth. And yet, Jesus handled him gently, did he not? It made Nathan or Nathaniel immediately recognize Jesus' Jesus's omnipotence, and he confesses him as Lord. Now, time doesn't permit me to go in fully to the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, but I think that's a familiar enough story that we know that there's a woman who is a sinful woman who has been married multiple times, and Jesus meets her out by a well outside of town. And Jesus handles her in much the same way as he handled Nathaniel. He revealed her heart. And while she goes away exposed, there is, she's not, she was not shamed by Jesus. She goes away cleansed and confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, contrast this to the way that the Pharisees dealt with another woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. They bring this woman before Jesus. She is condemned. She too has been exposed and pronounced guilty. The truth is out, and now it's time to execute sentence. And the Pharisees bring her to Jesus, and testing him, they want to know what to do with her. Jesus does not deny the truth about the woman. But Jesus does expose the truth about the Pharisees. He exposes their sin. Jesus does not execute sentence on the woman, although ironically, he could have been the first to, he could have been the one to cast the first stone. And yet he also did not leave her in her sin. He called her to repentance. Now, speaking the truth in love is a difficult thing. And I am not very good at it. And I have to confess that I blew it this week in my own family. Where I had an opportunity to exercise this and clearly did not. And yet, with this woman, with Nathaniel, with the woman at the well, 
It's all about grace. Grace does not deny the truth. Grace does not cover up the truth. Grace does not exchange the truth for a lie. Grace does not suppress the truth. Grace speaks the truth in love. In essence, God deals with the truth. Jesus, who identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life, died to deal with the truth that we can't handle. Jesus said his Father's word was truth. Wisdom speaks truth because it reflects God's character. And unless our consciences are totally seared, we know that one day we're going to be exposed. We have to give account for every idle word, according to Jesus. There's no amount of fig leaves that are going to cover us. There's no more hiding in the bushes. And we're going to need a better sacrifice than the temporal sacrifice that God made to clothe Adam and Eve. But thanks be to God, he has done it. The blood of Christ covers us. We have been reconciled to God in Christ. We are out of God's courtroom and into his family room as Rich Coffin used to say. In fact, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? The shirts which the missions team has on their has a verse on their back that says, from Revelation 21.5, it says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give him from springs of water life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's pray. Father God, we need we need your blood. We need the blood of Jesus to cover us. We confess that you know. We confess that you see. We confess that you hear. And yet, Lord, you've taken us in. You've adopted us. You have made us your own. You have picked us up. You've raised us from our deadness and given us life. Even though all those things are true about us, 
you have made us new, a new creation in Christ. Help us to walk forward in full confidence of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And the truth will set you free. Have a good week.